Welcome to Waste Away, the intermittent fasting podcast. If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, heal your thyroid and autoimmune issues, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantel Ray, author of Waste Away, the Chantel Ray Way, and each week I have different guests answering your questions. If you haven't had a chance to pick up your copy of Waste Away, visit ChantelRayWay.com slash podcast and you'll automatically get 20% off the book, audiobook, recipe book, coaching, and Inner Circle Facebook group. Remember, the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Changing your lifestyle and losing weight can seem overwhelming and you aren't meant to do it alone. Think about it. The most successful people in business, in sports, and in entertainment all have coaches that take them to the next level. If you want to take your health to the next level and meet your weight loss goals, the Waste Away Coaching Program will help you do it. You'll be matched with a coach who has walked in your shoes and has had great success with our program. They will provide daily encouragement, accountability, and that extra push you need to meet your goals. Just like everything in life, weight loss is a whole lot more fun when you have someone to share it with. Visit ChantelRayWay.com slash coaching to learn more. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode and I'm so excited. Today's guest is Amanda Montalvo. She's an integrative dietitian and functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. Um, That is a mouthful, but um, she's got a great website called Your Non-Toxic Life, which has so many free resources. And I was introduced to Amanda by a friend of mine, Autumn Smith, who we had on the podcast last month, and she said, you've just got to have her on the show. So I'm super excited about it. Uh, Welcome, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Autumn's awesome. I'm sure her interview is amazing. Yeah, it was. It was really good. Um, So walk us through your health journey. I know the past five years have been really transformational for you. And what have you learned about your body? Look at, (laughs) we first have to joke about my headphones. Aren't they hysterical? My hair, these are like, I'm like making my hair like super big with these, these headphones. This is, Josh was like, I need you to wear headphones. I was like, okay. I'm like, these are the biggest headphones I've ever seen. <laughs> it works. It works. It's like you can't even like look at me and take me seriously with these headphones. But if you're listening to this on the podcast and you want to watch us, it's always great. Just go to our YouTube channel, Chantel Ray Way, and you can see my huge headphones and my very big hair. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Go ahead, Amanda. So if I had to kind of like summarize the, like what I've learned, especially in the last five years, I would say I've just like really learned to trust my body. And I think that as women, like that's something that's really hard for us to do because there's so many external cues, you know, kind of telling us what we should look like, how we should feel, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, kind of going through health issues that I had, like getting off the pill, lots of acne, all that fun stuff. I finally just started taking like any symptoms I was feeling is just communication and not like stressing about things. Cause we all have things going on. We all have like maybe hormonal imbalances, thyroid issues or whatever going on with our guts and that it can feel very defeating when you're, you feel like you're doing everything right. And then like, you're still getting symptoms, but just kind of learning that that's like communication from my body and that my body knows itself better than I might realize um, has been really, really helpful. 
Awesome. Now, I know a lot of women I've heard that are just so frustrated with the pill, the birth control pill, but they've been told by their gynecologist that they need the pill in order to keep a regular period. Um, so what would you say to those women? Like, what, where should they start if they don't want to get pregnant, but they don't want to be on the pill? What would your advice be for them? I would say number one, like that, even just feeling that way, it's like, recognize that that's your gut telling you that something is wrong. Um, and that it, in order for the pill to regulate your cycle, it just doesn't work that way. It's a bandaid. So, and I think that's why a lot of women do get frustrated because when you get your period on the pill, it's just a pill bleed. It's not a real period. So you're literally just shutting off communication from your brain to your ovaries the whole time that you're on hormonal birth control. Um, so I would say there are other options. When I first got off the pill, I, when I got the copper IUD, because I was in college, I was like, I cannot get pregnant. And I had a lot of stress and not, I'm like a really crazy schedule. So now I use the fertility awareness method, but you know, if you don't get up at the same time every morning, or if you like, can't take your temperature every morning, if you have a lot of stress going on, sometimes it cannot, it's not as accurate. Um, I use it, I've been using it for like three or four so, years. So, um, for people who don't, and I'm very familiar with what you're talking about, but for people who don't know, um, the fertility method and what's funny is I, did that fertility method and ended up getting pregnant but it was it wasn't because the method didn't work it was because what i did was i was peeing on a stick <laughs> i had these these um you know ones that said you know are you you know are you in your window and i peed on a stick and it said yes so and i just read it wrong and then i ended up having sex with my husband and right after that I don't know what, but I was thinking, oh my gosh, I just read that, that pee stick wrong. Oh, and, and then literally like 28 days later, whatever, I was pregnant, but my son is the most amazing thing ever. And so that was just a huge blessing. We just weren't quite ready at that time, but it was fine. Like it's no big deal. So tell everyone about that method. The fertility awareness method is when you, number one, like you have to track your cycle, which I think all women should do anyway, because it gives you like a very good sign of your health and everything. Um, and you're tracking your cycle and you're basically taking your temperature every morning before you get out of bed, like when you're still kind of half asleep and you're using a basal body thermometer. And the you need to use that one because it brings it over to the 0.100th or of a 10th so that you can actually get an accurate measurement. And so, cause what's happening is you're taking your temperature because after you ovulate, which is when your body releases the egg and then that's when you can get pregnant, which is what happened to you. After you ovulate, your temperature increases just a little bit. And so that's why you take your temperature. When you see that change, you know, you've ovulated. That's like the basis behind it. But there's a window, like how you mentioned, where before you ovulate that you can get pregnant. So I use it to prevent pregnancy. I have plenty of people that I've used it. A lot of people think of it to get pregnant, but it's very effective for preventing pregnancy. If you know when you typically ovulate. So like I used that method for a year before I got my copper IUD out because I was really afraid of getting pregnant. And I was like, I'm not ready. Don't want to do this yet. So I was, I made sure I really knew my average ovulation day. Cause most of us ovulate around the same day each month. It can vary kind of based on stress and stuff like that. 
but you, if you understand, like for me, I usually ovulate day 16. So six days leading up to that, I'm really careful because I know that sperm can survive for five days. So that's when you have that little window. And then outside of that window, I don't worry about it. Yeah. So let me expand on that for those people who don't know. So like while a regular thermometer is accurate 0.2 degrees Fahrenheit, a basal thermometer is accurate 0.1 degrees Fahrenheit. And ovulation prediction depends on noticing very slight changes. So it could be between 0.4 and 1 whole degrees. Uh, Talk about what yours normally is. So like... um, like say, if you were going to wake up in the morning and you weren't ovulating, what would your, would your temperature be? And then on the days you are ovulating, what does that look like? So your temperature, everyone's going to be a little bit different, but mine only goes up like half a degree. It's, it's not a big change, but because mm-hmm. you're using that basal thermometer, it looks like a big change. So if you put it on a graph, you would see like a big step and then your temperature is increased pretty much the rest of your cycle. Um, and then that's how, you know, I use a Daisy. I don't know if you've ever heard one of the, of that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So, oh my God, it's the best thing ever. Um, okay. it's a thermometer that does all the work for you. So okay. you, it, you take your temperature every morning and it goes based off of an algorithm that they made. And there's actually a lot of research now they've done like a lot of studies to kind of support it and keep improving the algorithm. So the better, the more that you've more cycles you've done with the daisy, the more accurate it gets. And so it learns it'll, if you're, you know, if you're not ovulating, it's green, it's like, you're good to go. If it's not sure it's yellow. So it's like basically means be careful. And the days leading up to ovulation, it's red. So that's basically for me, like I take my temperature in the morning and I know, I also know my, where I am in my cycle though. So for, if I'm like, all right, Day 10, I'm like, got to be careful now because in six days, I'm going to be ovulating. Wow. Now, what else does this kind of tell you about your overall health? When you're, do you use it for anything else, um, that thermometer besides ovulation? I don't use the thermometer for anything else. Like if I had like a low temperature, because it connects to your phone so you can like see all your temps if you want. You don't have have to like do all that work if you don't want to. So if I had low temperatures, I would maybe be like looking at my thyroid health or something like that. Cause that is like pretty typical, but I use the ovulation in my cycle length and my cycle symptoms. Those are really my markers for health. So like if I don't ovulate one month, it's usually related to stress. And so I need to like take a step back, see what's going on in my life, see where I can like work on de-stressing. Or if I ovulate later, so like if I ovulate closer to like day 18 or 19, which is really rare for me, but it does happen. Like sometimes if I'm traveling or something like that, then I know like I have too much stress going on. It's literally impacting my hormones and putting off ovulation Mm -hmm. and then my cycle length, right? So like if sometimes like re- like a couple months ago, my cycle was really short. So as soon as I ovulated, I basically got my period, which is like a big red flag for me. Cause like, if I know I'm usually 27 to 28 days and all of a sudden I'm like getting it on day 22, that's like your body communicating with you that like something is off and that can also be related to stress. I love that because the truth is, is that like, so for perfect example, someone like me who's married and my 
I was so sick the last time I gave birth to my son. I literally threw up six times a day every day. And so I just told him, I was like, you got to get a vasectomy because I can't go through this again. And so, you know, I'm not worried about getting pregnant because he did get a vasectomy. But I could use this thermometer for, for just those exact reasons. Looking at my thyroid. Looking, thyroid's a big one. Um, and looking at that stress. I love that, you know, it, you can do it for more than just, hey, am I going to get pregnant or not? I mean, now I... Yeah, for sure. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say like, like you all, a lot of women don't know if they're ovulating because they're like, well, I don't really care about getting pregnant, but like you want to ovulate. I feel like, especially as you get older, that's a sign of health and like robust hormones. And if you're not ovulating, it means you have low progesterone and like, that's not good. So mm -hmm. it, it basically just gives you tons of signs from your body and just kind of helps you like instead of you kind of, if you don't feel like yourself, it's like, you can think back, like, what was my cycle? Like, did I ovulate? How long was it? Did I have a lot of PMS symptoms? It's basically just like a report card. Mm. Well, another piece of that you've talked about in your health journey is just liver health and detox. And this has been something I've been really interested uh, in lately because I feel like we've been getting a lot of questions on your liver. So talk about how did you know something was wrong with your liver and how did you begin to heal it? So that, and that really started when I was like, I, I didn't feel like myself, my, I've always struggled with really bad acne. And so I was starting to get really bad symptoms and I made the connection finally that it was related to the pill when I was taking the pill. So the first thing and I, and I learned how all this like prescription medication. I think a lot of us don't think of birth control as a prescription medication. Um, mm. And so I, and like, I used to take prescription acne creams. I took antibiotics for my skin. Like mm. I didn't realize that all these things were impacting my health. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to learn about how they impact my body, decide if it's right for me. And I realized that they're really increasing your burden on your liver. And then I started learning about how that could impact your skin. And I was like, well, maybe my skin issues are coming from my liver because I did take birth control for like eight years. So I got off birth control and I didn't know what I was doing. So I just kind of got off and then my skin freaked out. My hormones were crazy. And I started looking at like, what are some natural ways that I can support my body and reducing your toxic load and supporting your liver was like the biggest thing. So I started taking steps to look at where am I getting toxins in my environment? Like, cause I already ate really well. And I feel like most of us kind of, that's where we come at it from. Like we eat well and then we're like, Oh, like, but what's in like my cleaning products and stuff like that. And eventually we get to like everything else, but that's really how I started. And everything that I've learned, I ended up going back to school for functional medicine after I got my RD because there's so much more that like has such a big impact. Um, and so if you're just kind of starting out and wondering like, does my liver need support? What can I do to support it? I would say like, remember that everything we're exposed to, it's just going to build up or you can reduce your toxic load. So your toxic load is the amount of toxins that are present at any given time in your body. So they vary, right? Like your liver's always going to detoxify things. Um, obviously there's like, it, sometimes we can have issues if we don't get good sleep, that kind of stuff, but it's always going to be working. And that's why a lot of people are like, oh, well, you don't need to detox because your body's always detoxing. And like it is, but we also have a lot of toxic exposure in our world from the foods we eat, the products we use in our skin, 
like the things we spray in our house, like all the air fresheners and stuff. Yeah, all that and, kind of stuff. and what I love is that, you know, doing this podcast is such a blessing to me because each time we have someone on, I kind of feel like I, I kind of clean something up a little bit more. So like the last guy came on and was just talking about nail polish. And it's like, I really didn't even think about nail polish. And this last time I went and I got a manicure pedicure, and I told the girl, I said, I just want you to buff my nails. I mean, I have had nail polish on my nails for the last, I can't even think of the time that I didn't have it on my nails. And now, you know, if you look, I have, I just have them buffed. Um, so do you believe, you know, that, that everyone does need a liver detox? Because a lot of people associate their liver with alcohol and might be thinking, you know, I'm not a heavy drinker. Um, so I'm probably good. So what are some signs that you might have liver issues? Kind of list those for us. So I would like the first one that stick out to me. Cause like, I really just work with women is like hormone issues because your liver okay. filters all your hormones. So if yeah. you have like really bad PMS maybe, or like period issues, like an irregular cycle or thyroid, right? Yeah. Cause you convert your thyroid hormone, um, in your liver so like thyroid issues, I would, I always start everyone off with that. Um, or any like gut issues because your liver, we actually make bile in the liver and that helps us break down fat. So like a lot of us think of bile in like the gallbladder, but it's made in your liver. So if you aren't breaking down food properly, you have digestive issues. Yes, you could definitely have something going on in your gut, but you could also have toxic bile from your liver. So Lots of those kinds of things like acne, a lot of people like the standard like bloating, skin issues. And a lot of that is because your liver works in conjunction with your gut. So if you have hormonal imbalances, thyroid, gut issues, which is pretty much everything, your liver definitely needs help. And like the reason I got obsessed with it is because I found for pretty much everyone I was working with that they all needed to support their liver. So let's talk about some of the household products and makeup and things like that and talk about some things you have on your site to help with that. So if I have like a beauty and skincare page and it links to like all my favorite products. Um, and so I only purchase from companies that I know test their products because now like we're super blessed. There's so many companies out there that are making safer products that have less toxic ingredients, but a lot of them don't test them. So that's like where my major concern comes up a lot um, because you can still get heavy metals in a non-toxic makeup product. Because if you think about lipstick, blush, eyeshadows, anything with color, foundation, those can be exposed to heavy metals. So you wanna make sure you're purchasing from a company that tests them. Um, I really like Beauty Counter and Coco Kind Skincare and Primally Pure. They, for like skincare beauty, like they have, and like makeup, they have really solid products and they all share their testing information. So if you're trying to like look for things and you, you can reach out to the companies and if they don't share it, like there are other companies that do. So I wouldn't like kind of hesitate. And what about, have you seen any nail polish that you feel like is non-toxic? Have you found any? Yeah, so Cote, I think that's how you say it. It's C-O-T-E and it's got like a little dash over the E. They don't, there's no formaldehyde, there's no toxic ingredients. Um, so I would say it is more expensive, but it's a definitely a better brand. 
And do, like, do you wear do you wear nail polish or no? Oh yeah, are you? Yeah, I do. I'm like a I'm a real person, and I think, <laughs> I think people go too crazy with like even. Uh-huh. If, so you have to remember, like even the alcohol thing. Like a lot of people were like, "Do I need to stop drinking, or do mm-hmm. I have to stop getting my nails done?" It's like it, you have to go back to the fact that your toxic load is like a bucket. So if you're not filling up your bucket super high, if you're eating well, if you're you know, eating cruciferous veggies and buying organic foods. If you like switched over your skincare and beauty products, like having a drink, isn't going to kill you. It's not going to like push you over the edge. You know, it's more of like looking at all the areas of your life and kind of looking at it that way. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about just some of the things. So like talk about what you ate yesterday. We always like to talk about what does your diet look like? So I typically, I eat pretty similarly during the week. I'm kind of boring, but yesterday it was, I didn't work out. It was a rest day. So I ate for breakfast. I make this, it's like, I call it a breakfast bowl. It's basically coconut flour, a greens powder, um, bone broth protein and cocoa powder. That's like the dry mix. And I mix it with coconut milk and put berries inside. So that's like my lazy go-to breakfast in the morning. Mm. Would you be willing to share that recipe with our listeners? It's on my website. Oh, it is? Okay. Okay. So if if we, if we go to your, your website, I'm, I'm actually there now. Which, which link is it? If you go to blog in the drop down menu, you'll see recipes. Mm, Okay. I think it's called no bake berry breakfast bowl, but yeah. And I bring mm-hmm. that with me when I travel cause it's all dry ingredients and then you just uh-huh. add a liquid. So that's, it's definitely. Mm-hmm. So what, what's, what's your favorite recipe? So if you said like, these are my three recipes that are kind of like to die for. Okay. So, and I, that's basically what I ate yesterday. So that works. Um, the fried chicken recipe, it's like shredded fried chicken that's on there. I make mm. that every single week. So you basically, you make shredded chicken in a crock pot or I use an instant pot cause it's quicker. Mm. And mm. then you season it however you want. I usually do like smoked paprika, something spicy and like garlic. And then you heat up avocado oil in a pan and you like saute the chicken in there. So it gets a little mm. bit crispy and it's like the best thing ever. It's, a, it's mm. like a traditional Puerto Rican dish, but I just made it like a little bit healthier. <laughs> Now, do you eat like a paleo diet or what is kind of the, the, do you just eat like kind of fresh fruits, vegetables? What's kind of your thing? Is there anything you kind of say, I stay away from X, Y, or Z? I definitely don't eat gluten because for me, it like does not work. I get like, you'll immediately see it like in my skin and in my digestion, um, and I don't do a lot of dairy, but I love cheese. Like I love it. So I might have that like once a week or something as like a treat. But for me, like I don't restrict foods from my diet because I did that for so long and it right. just like wasn't healthy. I definitely had disordered eating habits. And I feel like if you're in balance, like for me, I usually don't have cravings. And if I do, then I probably didn't sleep enough or I didn't eat enough that day or I'm stressed out. So I try mm-hmm. to like take all that kind of stuff as signals, but gluten and dairy, I pretty much don't have, but I still like, I, I eat chickpeas. I love chickpeas and like, sometimes I'll have grains, but it's really kind of dependent on like how I'm feeling and mm-hmm. like what I'm doing for workouts. Mm. I saw your lemon poppy seed muffins. Those look absolutely delicious. Are they good? 
they are I love lemon desserts like I used to eat like lemon bars as a kid those mm-hmm. are like the boxed ones that are terrible for you yeah <laughs> I made those instead hey guys we absolutely love getting your questions into the podcast but we're also interested in your journey so if you've started intermittent fasting and have some success or even struggling a little bit we want to hear about it email me your intermittent fasting stories to Chantel at ChantelRayway.com That's awesome. Well, let's jump right into the listener questions. Um, This first one comes from Jenna in Hampton. I feel like I'm a podcast junkie, and every time I turn around, someone talks about this symptom and that symptom, and I'm like, OMG, I have that. And then I hear a new supplement, and I say, oh, I need to take that. And I've literally added so many supplements to my repertoire, and now I'm starting to wonder if I'm overloading my liver with all these supplements. Do you think I'm overloading it? I'm wondering if I should stop all the supplements for a little while and just detox. If you think this is a good idea just to take a break, maybe 30 days, or how long should I do it? Or what are your thoughts? Jenna in Hampton. That's a good one. And I get that a lot where like women will come to me and they're taking like a million supplements and they don't even remember why. (laughs) So (laughs) I would say look at your supplements number one and evaluate, do you need to take these and what are they for? Like, is it something that is like, think about what your goals are and what you're actually dealing with. It's not that it's like overloading your liver, but you also need to look at what they all have in them. Like sometimes I'll get supplements from people and they're like meeting like 250% of their needs for some nutrients and then like none for others. So you want it to make sense and you do definitely want to take breaks. I usually say you either want to like only take supplements Monday through Friday and take the weekends off or every two to three months, take at least two weeks off. So it is good to take breaks, but. So what supplements, what supplements do you say, Hey, you know, I definitely take breaks. I've let my body heal from it for a while. What supplements are you saying kind of for yourself that you go, I definitely take X, Y, Z. Is there any? Yeah. So, and I'm like a very big proponent of them. I just think like you should have them specific to you. So I always take the organ complex from Paleo Valley, duh. Um, the vitamins, the essential C that they have. And I take a probiotic and I do a vitamin D. Like I have a liquid one that I like that has K2. So you absorb it a little bit better. And I take magnesium. So that's about five things that I take regularly, but I still do take break. Oh, and fish oil. Um, that's in the fridge. So I like forget like that that's a part of my supplements. So I do take those regularly, but I do take breaks. Like I'm traveling in a little bit, so I'm just not going to bring them with me. And that's my break, you know? So make it work for you, but you, it's fine to take breaks. And if you're struggling with like knowing what to take, or if you should take something, I would say, try tracking your food in chronometer for like at least five days. And it breaks down all your vitamins and minerals, your fatty acids and everything. And then you can see like, what am I getting? What am I not? Obviously food is the first choice to try to get it, but it's not always practical. So I would try to use that as like a way to assess. Mm, That's great. Okay, next question. This is from Laura in Minnesota. I love this podcast. I feel like you answer so many of my questions that I haven't even asked. But lately, I've been listening to my body and I feel like my thyroid is somehow connected to my digestion. I can't even quite figure out how, but I say... But say I do a three-day smoothie detox, I will feel like my thyroid is on overload. 
but working really well. Another time I may eat a big meal with starches and my body just doesn't digest the food and I feel like my thyroid's not functioning. Something like a simple meat and veggies I do completely fine. Is this all in my mind or do you think my thyroid is somehow tied tied to my digestion? So I'm guessing that she has thyroid issues if she's so aware um, of her thyroid. So I would say number one, like if you have hypothyroid, it, it usually is tied to your digestion. A lot of the times you'll get constipation, stuff like that. Based on what she's saying, like, and I'll say like the three day smoothie detox probably isn't actually detoxing your liver, but that's okay. So like doing smoothies for three days, probably eating a little bit less, she feels better. And then it sounds like when she adds in starches is when she's having this like heaviness bloating. That makes me think of SIBO. So obviously you would have to get a breath test done, talk to your doctor, see what's happening. But if you have thyroid issues, SIBO is very common. And that is just when you have an overgrowth of bacteria in your small intestine. So we're not supposed to have bacteria there. So if we do, most of your digestion's happening and absorption happens in your small intestine. So it makes sense because for you to get bloated after starches, because those bacteria are eating the starches, right? And then off gassing, and then you have bloating. So it sounds like that could be what's happening. I would say consider getting a breath test with your doctor. Um, and you know, if you're not, if you're going from like not eating as much and then eating a heavier meal, like you might need to break up your meals a little bit more. Okay, good. Danielle in Redmond. I'm all about the detox and I know you are too. Lately, I've been looking at gallbladder flushes, which is something new. I'm not even aware of gallbladder issues, but I know it's tied to so many things. Same with the liver. Should I flush my gallbladder and liver? If so, what do you recommend? Dr. Google told me about a liver flush, but it had mixed reviews. Some good, some bad. What do you recommend? I love this question. So gallbladder flushes, I would not recommend doing that unless you have like a specific parasite like Giardia that can like live in your gallbladder. That's really the only time I have someone do a gallbladder flush. Um, but I love coffee enemas. Do you do coffee enemas? You know, I've done one um, before and I, we actually gave one away on our, on our show one time, but I, it's, I don't do it regularly. Do you? I do. I'm obsessed with them. Um, it sounds very strange to put coffee up your butt, but it's actually really effective for liver health and for that bile that we, I kind of talked about before. So coffee enemas are much more related to your liver. They're not going to do much for your gallbladder other than they can, it can stimulate the bile to release. So say you have like a toxic liver or just more burden on your liver, which is basically everyone. When you do a coffee enema, it releases that toxic bile and then you get it out of your body. So then that way you could, a lot of times if people have like digestive issues, like if they feel like they don't digest their food well, then I'll recommend trying a coffee enema. It's also really just good for boosting glutathione, which is our really powerful antioxidant for detox. So it's, it's, they're great. Unfortunately, there's not a ton of research on them. Like we know that they're great for pain relief and inflammation, but there's not a lot with detox. It's basically just something that we consider and we know the bile thing is true. So I would say if you're going to do anything, try coffee enemas. So not to be gross, but I want you to, cause some people 
when they picture a coffee enema, I want you to try to be as descriptive as you possibly can. What does that look like for you? When you do one, what does that look like? Okay, so when I do a coffee enema, I use Bulletproof Coffee, number one, because they test it for mold. You always want to use an organic coffee, make sure it's a good quality. I brew like two tablespoons with water, so it's like not as strong as your typical coffee, and you want to do about four cups. I use a stainless steel bucket because I don't want to mess with the heat. You can use like silicone, but the heat and silicone just it can like leach out chemicals. So get a stainless steel bucket on Amazon, comes with a silicone tube, or it's like specifically like chemical or um, medical grade tube. There's a little spout at the end. I use a non-toxic lubricant. I like Sustain is a great brand if you're looking for one. And then you lay on your side, you put the um, bucket up about like two feet two to three feet off the ground. So like find a chair or something to kind of, or if you're doing it in your bathroom or something like that, I put a towel down um, and then you lay on your side and relax and you put the little tube. It's very small. Make sure it's got something on it. You can use coconut oil if you want. Um, and then you put the tube in, you, it's got a little clip. And so when I first started doing them, I like really slowly released the clip because I was terrified of what, what was going to happen. So now I don't have to do that, but if you're first starting, like really slowly release that clip and like let it go into your body really slowly. And then you let it sit for 10 or 12 to 15 minutes if you can, you know, like if you can't do it the first time, like it'll get better um, the more that you do it. And then you go to the bathroom and you poop it all out. So, so you said about four cups of coffee is what you're putting in and then you right and then how soon does it come out so you you would lay there for about 12 to 15 minutes and the goal with this is because it that means that it get it'll circulate into your because your blood your liver circulates all your blood so then it'll it filters everything so then that way it filters through your liver like three to five times um and so like 12 to 15 minutes if you can and if you when you first start you can use less coffee like you could start with like two cups and then work your way up if you're nervous that's totally fine because remember like it's the more that you can hold it the better that you're going to get at it the more you're going to get out of it mm. okay this next question is from Allie in virginia beach literally every podcast that i listen to and everyone that i follow on instagram has been talking about dry brushing so i ordered it on amazon and i'm in love i've only been using it a week i just like the way that it feels it's so revitalizing but the main reason I got it is because I heard that it helps with cellulite and with my lymphatic system. Do you believe that it's true or proven or do you think it's all in my head? How does brushing your skin work to benefit your lymphatic system and cellulite? So it works by boosting your lymphatic system. So our lymphatic system is it's basically transporting a liquid called lymph and that's mostly has white blood cells and different nutrients in it. And if we think about like our circulatory system that moves our blood around, it has a pump. Our heart pumps it, but our lymph system doesn't. There's no pump. So the fluid can become stagnant and then it can build up in your fat tissue. And then that's where the cellulite comes from. But everyone has cellulite. So it, cellulite's going to, it can change based on like how big your fat cells are, which sounds weird. But if you have really large fat cells, that means that more can be 
kind of stored in there and then you can get a more bumpy appearance and usually the fat cells are increasing if like you're gaining weight or something like that they actually increase until they multiply um but for cellulite you can if you have a lot or like say like you kind of notice that all of a sudden it's getting a lot worse it could be related to your toxic load so i would say look at the products you're using look at your lifestyle look at your food that's like number one um and then doing things like dry brushing it does stimulate your lymph so it moves that lymph you want to do it every day like if you really want to see results with it but other things you can do for your lymph system are just like walking <laughs> moving jumping, like rebounding on a trampoline, going into a sauna even, even though you're not moving, it still can stimulate your lymph. So there's lots of other things that can get that moving too. Awesome. This next one's from Pat in Florida. I really enjoy your podcast. You always bring on the best guests and I do intermittent fasting in a six hour window, but most days I do a longer fast 24 hours to sometimes three days. When I do these long fasts, my skin is excellent. It's so perfect. But as soon as I start eating again, I notice that everything from psoriasis to eczema to acne starts coming back with a vengeance. I eat really clean for the most part. I'd say 90 to 10, 90% paleo, 10% whatever else I want, but it's still not good enough. Nothing compares to fasting. Unfortunately, I can't fast forever. Do you think my skin issues are tied to digestion? And if I'm already eating clean, what can I do to improve my skin besides never eating again? Pat in Florida. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You cannot fast forever. So that's like really important. Um, so when I hear that, I two things come up. I think blood sugar and I think gut health. Because if you if your skin is clearing up when you're not eating, that means that okay, like it either has to do with maybe your blood sugar is more balanced, obviously, because you're burning more fat for fuel. And then it makes me think, are you maybe eating foods that you're sensitive to? And the reason why we get sensitive to foods is because our gut has some sort of dysfunction. So I would say step number one is get your gut tested, do a stool test with your doctor. I really like the GI map. I think that's like the most accurate and you're going to get the most information because if you have any like parasites or pathogens, like you'd be surprised they're much more common than you think. And if that's going on, then that can make you have leaky gut, make you sensitive to foods. So even though you're eating really well, you're still getting all these reactions with your skin. Like the eczema and psoriasis make me think food allergies. So I would, and I would definitely, if you can eliminate gluten all the time, I know like you said 10%, you kind of do whatever, but eliminate it all the time. If you can get your gut tested um, and see if that helps. And if it doesn't, then you might want to look at blood sugar. Okay, this next one's from Anonymous. I'm 28 years old and my husband and I have been trying to get pregnant for the past two years. We've tried everything natural under the sun, it seems. One of my friends told me about seed cycling, saying that it can help. She had a friend that said that she did it and got pregnant. I've never heard about it before and I'm always a little hesitant of trying something just because it worked for a friend of a friend. Is this something you recommend and can you talk about how it works? Yes, I love seed cycling. Um, I think it's really helpful. So the way that the whole idea behind seed cycling is that you're eating specific seeds at certain times in your cycle. So they break it into two phases. And the seeds that you're eating, they the reason you're having them is because they have specific nutrients that are going to boost certain hormones at different times in your cycle. So our hormones fluctuate throughout. And 
like certain fluctuations are really good for fertility, like making sure you have enough progesterone. So the seeds in the first phase are flax seeds and pumpkin seeds. And then the seeds in the second phase are um, sesame seeds and sunflower seeds. So they contain these nutrients, they boost the hormones that are supposed to be boosted. So they're really helping to support a natural cycle. And I mean, I would say that it's, it's worth a shot, especially if you feel like you've tried everything else. But I would also go back to like, are you tracking your ovulation? Do you know when you ovulate? Because you can't just have sex the day that you're ovulating. You need to have sex all leading up to that um, to make sure that you're not going to miss that short window when the egg is passing through. So I would really consider that and then get your hormones tested. Awesome. Well, Amanda, it has been such a pleasure. And if you guys have not gone to her website, I'm telling you, it is, you've done such a nice job. Those recipes on there just look absolutely amazing. I'm going to just start going down and, I mean, you've done such a great job with it. That website, again, is yournontoxiclife.com. And if you have a question... That Oh, and let's, before I forget, we're going to do a Facebook post and you have a free giveaway. Talk about that giveaway real quick on that Facebook post, Amanda. So it's actually a guide to seed cycling, which works out for oh, a question on it. So it's basically just breaks down how to seed cycle. It's got a ton of frequently asked questions and recipes so that if you want to get started with seed cycling, you can easily start doing that. Okay, great. So you go to your non-toxic life and then where do you go to get that? If you go under blog and then you'll see hormones, it's okay. the... It's Why don't you send me the link and I'll throw it in the show notes. That'll be best. And we'll put it on the Facebook post. Does that sound good? Okay, we'll send that link. Well, again, it's been my pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. And if you have a question that you want answered, go to questions at ChantelRayWay.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at ChantelRayWay.com. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to ChantelRayWay.com slash coaching. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.